today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Budget day in Ottawa today, 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Finance Minister Christy Freeland uh, will uh, deliver uh, the first budget for her and the first one in over two years by the, uh, the Trudeau government. Uh, the Prime Minister is urging uh, the opposition parties to support this long-awaited budget uh, that his government is going to introduce for the sake of those suffering through the pandemic. Terry Pedwell reports. It's vital that we work together right now. It's been more than two years since the last budget, and with a minority in Parliament, Justin Trudeau faces possible defeat if it's rejected. But Elliot Hughes, a one-time advisor to former Finance Minister Bill Morneau, says Trudeau's call for cooperation with the opposition may be a stretch, since the budget will be about much more than the economic fallout from COVID-19. In terms of, I think, the, the breadth uh, of policy that they cover um, and, and the depth of the spending that they commit to. The federal deficit has already reached historic levels, and today's document is expected to be a blur of red ink, with the governing Liberals already promising between 70 and $100 billion in stimulus spending over the next three years. Terry Pedro, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. So what can we expect and what are the implications going to be? Well, uh, pleased to welcome back to the program Moshe Land, who is a senior economist lecturer at Concordia University. Uh, Moshe, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. My pleasure. Uh, we're in uncharted waters here. I mean, I, I know this. Uh, the Trudeau government, of course, is, is well used to, to deficits, but they were usually in the neighborhood of $20 billion. We're, we're talking about putting a ceiling at $400 billion right now. Uh, this is... Uh, something we have not seen certainly in our lifetimes is it no this this would compete with say wartime budgets in terms of deficits as a percentage of gdp right remember that the the headline number of that 380 billion dollars that we're going to hear today always has to put within the context of what's the size of our gross income that's the gdp figure but uh yeah this this is an unprecedented flat number and and it's wartime uh in, in terms of proportionality are, are alarm bells going off now because of these numbers? Yes and no. I mean, like I just said, you know, uh, unprecedented numbers, sure, uh, but justified, right? We were in the midst of a once-in-a-century sort of uh, economic crisis that, that hit the whole world. So there's not really a playbook at that point for what you're going to do fiscally, and, and you kind of have to throw the rules out just to make sure that the economy doesn't flatline. The fact that we're maybe now six months from kind of having uh, everybody vaccinated at least once means that we survived it. And so I think on some level that money is maybe justified. Well, as I mentioned that on my commentary this morning, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, you know, because I said, look, in ordinary times, uh, any government that proposes this kind of spending would be vilified by by economists. But these are not ordinary times, uh, and and I guess if if we're going to you know start you know looking at bottom lines here, uh, the first question you got to ask is, okay, what are you going to cut out? Which support programs and uh, are you going to cut out of there? And which is going to whatever it is going to have a, a negative impact on an awful lot of Canadians. For sure. And it's really now, it's not today's budget that really matters. It's the path to normalcy that is really going to be the issue, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not something that's going to happen before the next election, even if that election is delayed another year because Canadians don't seem particularly interested in one right now. But, you know, we're talking about five, ten years easily before we can see something that starts to resemble the the glimmer of a balanced budget. So I, I think it's it's not what they announced today. It's what's the path to getting there that that's really the, the key thing. 
I do, uh, Moshe, are you going to be looking for that, that roadmap today? Uh, is this the time or the place to do that sort of thing? I know that one of the uh, government spokespeople who spoke on the, the condition of anonymity, because they're not, I guess, uh, really qualified to do this, said that within five years they said they could be back to pre-pandemic uh, deficits as opposed to the, the $380 billion that we're talking about now. Is that a realistic uh, target? Five years is maybe a little hopeful, um, but, you know, five to ten years as a window seems probably plausible. Um, I, I wouldn't blink if they said that we're going to try and aim for five years. Uh, that, that's certainly an admirable goal. Uh, that would certainly fall within the lifetime of the next parliament. I think it's probably the one after that, though, when uh, like real discussion of balanced budgets again are, are, are going to be important. Don't forget, too, that the other thing is that even if you're running a deficit, as long as the economy is growing fast enough, you can grow out from under that pile of debt that's accumulating in the process. It's the same thing that if you overspend your income, but your income is growing faster than your level of overspending, that level of overspending becomes less and less significant with each passing year. But many economists, uh, and I think you and I have had this discussion too, are suggesting uh, that this is an economy that's ready, willing, and able to, to start to flourish again as soon as we get the go-ahead from government. Uh, that, you know, we've got money that's been sitting around that we ordinarily would have spent in the last year, and, and we're willing to do that. Uh, so it, it's not to suggest, uh, as I think somebody said years ago, that don't worry, that you know, the economy will look after itself and the budget. Uh, we still have to be cognizant of things like that, but is, is it too naive to suggest that we're going to get a great big push behind us now as soon as, as the the shackles are lifted and we're allowed to go to theaters and go spend money again? Well, I, I did say, you know, when we kind of first set into this pandemic about a year ago that however long it was going to last, and I don't think it was this long, but um, we were in a good position going in. So in the grand scheme of things, we're coming out of this uh, maybe a little bruised, but clearly not as bad as other countries in terms of our, our fiscal situation. So, you know, what I would say from the government standpoint is it's got that kind of 70 to $100 billion powder cake that they're ready to kind of use. Um, use it cautiously. Wait and see what happens when they do unleash the economy. If it does rebound strongly, then they can hold back on that cash. They don't need to pump it in uh, unconditionally. But if they find there's sluggishness, if they find there's particular sectors that might need a little bit of a shove in the right direction, then they can use that money in a much more targeted way. And that might actually be a, a net benefit then rather than just bad red ink. A friend of mine who used, I guess, a medical metaphor to, to describe this uh, suggested it's like if you're going to have surgery, uh, you should work out and try to get yourself in the best possible shape. You're going to feel like crap after the surgery, but if you're in shape, uh, you recover as much faster. Is, is that an apt analogy? Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I guess if, if that's the analogy we're going to go with, then then we were exercising pretty vigorously before the pandemic kicked in, right? So the, the economy was strong, unemployment numbers were low, the uh, government were, was running a deficit, but the deficit was relatively manageable. The debt load was near the lowest it had been in, in a generation. So it, it, we went in in a really good position. And so, yeah, I, I think we were in shape and, and we were ready to kind of absorb the, the punch that was thrown at us. So. Um, I, I think now it's a matter of, uh, you know, let's get the physiotherapy running <laughs> and get the body yeah. back to where it was before, right? Exactly. A lot of speculation, Moshe, about what we may hear or not hear, as the case might be. A lot of uh, speculation about some programs that have been promised for many, many years now uh, that may or may not show up uh, when uh, Minister Freeland rises. What? Let's 
go through a couple of these. I guess the most obvious one is the National Child Care Program. I know that uh, the Paul Martin government tried to do that back in 2005. Uh, Minister Ken Dryden, I guess, was in charge of that, and they thought they had a deal. The funny thing happened on the way to the deal, though. They lost the next election, and, and the deal just kind of went up in, in smoke. Uh, is this the right time and the right place, and are we going to see a National Child Care Program introduced today? Um, I think they'll introduce it. Uh, I don't know that the details are there, and I don't know how feasible it is. The, the, the big thing with the, the child care program, and it was the same thing, you know, 15 years ago, is that there's two sides to the story. There's a supply side and there's a demand side, right? So if you're going to give parents um, tax credits or if you're going to give them subsidies or any sort of support for that, that's fantastic. But at the same time, you also have to make sure that there's enough facilities and trained professionals that are able to deliver uh, child care services, right? And so I guess there's a lot of storefronts that are now sitting empty. So, you know, maybe finding space won't be a particular problem. But the, the fact is that you don't just hand your child over to any person, right? It, it has to be somebody that you know is going to keep your child safe, that has the right proportion of, like, children to adults on site, and uh, the facilities have to be secure and safe. And so the fact is that this program that they're going to unveil is going to be very thin on those supply side details. Offering credits and tax benefits is really easy, and, and that's the low-hanging fruit. It's, it's trying to delegate that down to the provincial level and say, okay, now you need to take care of this in every single city. That's a really difficult thing, and it's going to make the gun registry look uh, like a piece of cake. <laughs> uh- it's an interesting philosophical argument about this, too, and your point's well taken. You can announce anything you want, I guess, in a budget. Uh, implementation is going to be the key here. And, and uh, I know that it was trying to, like, herd cats trying to get agreement between all the provinces and that program 15 years ago. Uh, and there's a philosophical difference here, and I think you just touched on it. Uh, conservative, I mean, small-c conservative governments uh, tend to want to offer tax credits as opposed to say, okay, here's the cost of the program. Just drop your kid off and everything's going to be fine. Uh, liberals and the, and the NDP are, are of the other ilk that simply say, look, at, we, tax credits really don't help, especially low-income people. Let's just create spaces and say, here's the program. Uh, I, I don't know that they're going to find consensus on that. No, they're not. And, and that's why, you know, in the clip that you played leading me in, it was, it was... Uh, asking for cooperation, right? Um, so, uh, you know, if you ask everybody in Parliament, do you agree that there should be some sort of uh, child care program? I, I think, you know, the vast majority would say yes. And then it'll completely get bogged down in committee and, and red tape trying to figure out what exactly does that program look like. Now bring in uh, 10 provincial premiers and three territorial leaders and then try and get the mayors of the various cities um, it, it can easily get bogged down, and we could very easily be talking about this in a decade. It's still one of those kind of wish list type things that just just can't get impl- implemented because it, it, it's the devil's in the details. One of the other uh, much-talked-about programs that uh, that has received a great deal of speculation, of course, is the National Pharmacare Program. Uh, the government did talk about that in their throne speech, uh, but they've been talking about that for a number of years, as have past governments as well. Uh, what's your sense, Moshe? Are we going to hear anything about that today? They haven't really leaked anything about that. Uh, like you said, they did promise it. Uh, and if ever you were going to talk about something dealing with the healthcare system, you would think it's now, right? Um, mm-hmm. People easily get behind anything that has some sort of pharma in it. Um, I, again, I, I'm not entirely sure that they have the details together. So if they want to make an announcement that we're going to uh, go ahead with a plan or we're going to unveil a plan in the, the coming weeks and months. Yeah, okay, go for it. But I, I don't think they're going to stand up today and say, not only do we uh, plan to spend on this, but we also have the, the plan ready to go. It, it, it's another one of those things that 
will easily get bogged down. And I, I think that's probably on the other side of the next election, not, not in this upcoming one. Uh, this is a pandemic, but we're going through a pandemic recession, which is unlike most other recessions that we've endured over the last number of years. But coming out of that, part of the, the, the solution usually is uh, incentive money from the government, so infrastructure investments, things of this nature, to try to get the economy going and get jobs back. Uh, are we going to see a, a, a page out of that book uh, this afternoon, too? As I say, the, 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 the absence of the pandemic, whenever that should happen, is going to be a major impetus. But we're still going to have to give uh, some of these industries a push, aren't we? Yeah, so in terms of spending on infrastructure, it's interesting because construction was one of the least disrupted industries. It was the one that almost every province tried to keep going during mm-hmm. the pandemic. So the, the fact is that while Canadian infrastructure definitely needs attention from coast to coast to coast, uh, the, the construction industry was affected, but it was also one of the most protected. So I, I don't know that uh, infrastructure programs are going to really be the thing that's uh, going to be in this budget. Um, at some point, the government is going to have to allocate resources to that, but it's maybe almost better to wait for the pending uh, collapse in property prices <laughs> uh, from an overheating housing market. And so when things kind of slow down naturally there, that's when you can take all of those plumbers, pipe fitters, and all of the other tradespeople that are involved in the construction industry and try and get them back into productive use by fixing Canada's infrastructure deficit. I, I guess one of the things we need to qualify and maybe even clarify here is exactly what the government is going to mean by infrastructure. I mean, I, I think probably in our mind's eye when you hear that word, you think about rebuilding bridges and, and you know retrofitting buildings and things. But they've shown a propensity over the last little while to try to green a number of things. And they include, uh, for instance, public transit in that too, you know, money for uh, for electrifying, uh, you know, bus uh, uh, routes and things of this nature uh, and, and you know infrastructure uh, retrofits for buildings of this nature that would qualify I guess in, in the broader de- definition of what infrastructure is and probably go much longer towards the, the path that the government seems to want to go down anyway Absolutely, but it still requires a bunch of tradespeople that are going yeah. to be involved in those retrofits and constructions for LRT lines and things like that so you're absolutely right, where they're going to focus is um, on that greenification. That was part of their environmental credentials that they wanted to push so hard in the last election. Um, but, but the fact is that, again, it's one of those things that uh, when you already have an industry that's running flat out, uh, adding more demand to that story is just going to drive prices higher. It's going to lead to the cost overruns that we're seeing in, in other uh, parts of the infrastructure development programs. And uh, it, it's not going to deliver them the, the biggest bang for the buck that it could. If they, if they just wait for that industry to naturally slow on its own, probably, you know, a few years after things get back to normal. We also hear that uh, there's probably going to be an extension of most, if not all, of the uh, support programs that they've introduced over the last uh, 14 or 15 months, uh, CERB and the variations on some, and some of, uh, uh, of their, all these other things. Uh, any modifications that we might expect there, too? For instance, I'm thinking of the uh, the paid sick leave program that they introduced. Uh, received a lot of criticism now because we're getting into that debate between federal and provincial uh, representatives as to who should actually be looking at that. And I know there's a lot of holes in the program as it is right now. Uh, do you see them shoring some of those programs up? Yeah, I mean, they're going to spend on those types of support programs. The wage subsidy is another one that's going to receive mm-hmm. some attention today, probably. But, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things that, while they're going to try and tweak it a little bit and try and make it a little more effective and maybe kind of eliminate some of the, the freeloading, excuse me, um, one of the things, of course, they have to watch for is that, you know, hopeful, we're six months from the end of this thing. And so, you know, to start kind of tweaking that program, by the time that they get those tweaks in place, 
we could very easily be in a situation where we're not in as great need of it as we would have been 12 months ago. So it's one of those things that, you know, just watch how much time you're devoting to that sort of thing and how much money you're devoting to it, uh, because it's one of those that's probably by the next budget not going to be a major uh, player. Which is probably why, as they've extended these programs, and we may, I guess, hear about that today, too, uh, they, they do put dates on it, don't they? Just in anticipation that, look, maybe six months from now we're not going to need this, so let's not get, get ahead of ourselves and, and make this a, a consistent program. They do put a sunset clause on them. Yeah, and, you know, that's always kind of the, the catch-22, right? Once you start putting an expiration date on things, right, if you have to keep revising that expiration date, you kind of look like you're not in control. And if you don't put that expiration date in, then it, it really creates a furor when you try and implement a, an expiration date. So I, I think probably at this point, just the way that the rollout's going, that uh, even if you were to say run it till the end of 2021, uh, that's probably sufficient that we shouldn't be talking about this into 2022. And so, again, it's just what's the value then of making wholesale changes to something that has maximum eight months left in it? Uh, crystal ball time, if we could. Uh, you just mentioned about the fact that, that, that I guess a number of different pollings that we've seen in the last little while have said the majority of Canadians don't want to see an, uh, an election right now. Uh, this is a minority government. They have to vote on this. And, and obviously, if they don't get the support that the prime minister is asking for, uh, we get thrown into an election right now. Uh, are the opposition parties just going to have to hold their nose and, and vote for this or not show up for the vote? Yep. Um, I don't think anybody wants an election in, in Parliament right now because... Even if the Conservatives have their eye on power, uh, do they really want to be the ones that are, are uh, trying to steer an economy in a post-pandemic sort of world? It's going to be a mess for the next five to ten years. So it's almost better to just kind of hold your nose, drag this out maybe another year. Let's see what things look like in the spring of 2022. And if things are recovering and, and booming along nicely, like we hope they will be, then maybe that's the time that you want to try and grab the steering wheel. But right now, with six months to go and still trying to deal with rollouts of vaccinations and which ones are safe or not as safe and i don't think anybody wants to be the leader at this particular point in time so uh, <laughs> let the liberals just continue to hang themselves to dry there and hope another scandal comes along in the next 12 months uh that maybe is something that you can really capitalize on uh, next spring moshi always a pleasure to get your perspective on this thanks so much for the time today anytime talk to you soon take care moshi lander of course uh, economist and lecturer at concordia university <laughs> The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.